We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady. And Martin Paloma. Welcome to another edition of Money for My Money, presented by Pinnacle. I'm your McCready, Martin Palomo of Pinnacle, with me here today as well. It's Thursday, August the 26th. We appreciate you making us a part of your week. Uh, Martin, how are you? Man, I'm I'm reasonably well. Just just grinding, baby. Yeah, we were just talking about that right before we started. We did like a one minute pre show because we are both uh, we are both grinding i've done one podcast already i've got one two three four more interviews to go i'm doing a podcast tonight i've got football availability for Ole miss today Ole miss about 11 days away from getting started the college football season starts on saturday so a lot a lot happening real quick i want to tell you i'm coming to you from the clark ford studios 662-257-1900 is the number call it ask for my pal Corey clark tell Corey what ford product you've been looking for and he'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote. The rest is up to you. 662-257-1900. And Martin, because we might forget to do it at the end, tell the people a little bit about Pinnacle and how they can get in touch with you guys. Yeah, man. Um, so we are, man, we are, we are excited to be, I think we're, we're just now beyond the, uh, well, no, not just now. We are beyond the halfway mark. We're approaching kind of about, you know, 75% completion in, in this in this uh, systems conversion we've been doing. So, I'm, man, I'm ready to get back to to uh, to just seeing people talking about their plans and, and figuring out their their future. And, man, it's, um, <clears throat> you know, markets have been relatively have been relatively good uh, lately. I know we'll talk a little bit about today, but it seems like we're kind of hitting, you know, a little bit of of, uh, of fear and, and panic in the markets. Um, we'll get to that in the show. But anyway, uh, I know once it gets choppy, you know, it's it's harder to manage by your money on your own. And um, you know, a lot of folks are that'll trade are just trading for, uh, you know, to try to make as much money as possible without really kind of any end goal in sight. So um, you know, I guess uh, you know if we the, that old saying of, you know, if you, if you have a goal 
and you have to make adjustments, you know, it's very likely you'll stay on track and hit it. But if you don't have a goal, it's very likely that you'll, you know, stay on track and, and not hit anything. So that's one of the big things that we try to do with our clients is figure out, you know, what are their needs in, uh, in the future and, and get a plan and put it in place. And if we have to course correct, which everyone has to course correct, there's no one that has a perfect plan right out of the gate. Um, you know, then we, then we make those corrections and modifications. If you're doing it on your own and you don't have a plan, you are very certain to arrive at nowhere. So, uh, give us a call 601-957-0323, uh, email us info at my P I N N wealth.com. All right. We talk a lot of current events on this show. We have discovered over the past year plus that we've been doing it because current events impact the market, current events impact our lives, which impacts the market, impacts our money. It's almost, it's, it's not like, you know, it's funny, Martin, in sports, I will get the guy, and I understand this, by the way, the guy that's like, man, I come here for football. Just talk about football. And sometimes, because we're people, Chase and I do a daily show, sometimes we talk about life and stuff in life. And, you know, yeah. in the last 19 months, that means a lot of COVID and, um, you know, schools and masks and all those things. But on this show, it's literally impossible to separate the economy from what's happening in the world. I mean, I, 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 maybe it is possible, but I don't know how one would do no, it. No, dude, it's kind of like the wet part of the ocean. I mean, what's happening in the world <laughs> in the economy, man. I mean, so as hey, a, just a little side note, uh, I got a notification today on my Facebook memories. And uh, today, today, literally today, the, uh, what day it says? It's the 26th? Yeah, the 26th yeah. of August is our two-year, we're two years old today. Oh, well, happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us, man. You want to sing the song? Uh, I think we might lose listeners. Yeah, we probably would. <laughs> All right, so we'll go from uh, that moment of revelry to this moment of uh, very somber. Yeah. This is, again, we're taping this on Thursday morning. You'll be hearing this probably Thursday afternoon. It's going to still be very much in the news when you're hearing it on Thursday or Friday or into your weekend. An explosion, I'm reading from the Wall Street Journal, uh, although you can find this anywhere because it is everywhere you turn on television right now. An explosion ripped through a crowd of Afghans trying to enter Kabul airport where the U.S. military is attempting to evacuate thousands of Americans and Afghans. At least three U.S. troops were injured, a U.S. official said. Western governments have repeatedly warned of an imminent attack by Islamic State, which I believe, Martin, is ISIS, and urged their citizens not to approach the airport. In fact, I've had some people tell me that we need to learn the word ISIS-K. I don't know what that is, but apparently we're going to be hearing it a lot, okay. unfortunately, have- yeah, over the next months. An Afghan man who was on the edge of the crowd near the Baron camp adjacent to the airport said the explosion occurred in the middle of thousands of people. He said he saw many maimed, bloodied people being brought out and was told of many fatalities. Separately, Italy said that its C-130 aircraft filled with Afghan refugees came under fire at takeoff on Thursday but was not damaged. An Italian reporter aboard the plane said the pilot had to take evasive action. Thursday's explosion came after several of America's allies said they were halting evacuation flights from Afghanistan, leaving behind citizens and thousands of Afghans who had been cleared for entry. I think that is the end of this particular note. It's a little bit more. Airlift opportunities began disappearing 
amid warnings of an imminent terrorist attack and as the U.S. began winding down operations in Kabul ahead of the August 31st withdrawal deadline. Desperate Afghans and foreign citizens still tried to block Kabul's international airport, but on Thursday morning found the roads, I'm sorry, tried to reach international airport, but on Thursday morning found the roads blocked by Taliban checkpoints. Everything is over, said a 30-year-old teacher who tried to get to the airport. They're not letting anyone pass, not even those with foreign passports or visas. Thousands of Western citizens and permanent residents are still stranded in Afghanistan, and many fear they will now be abandoned to face possible Taliban retribution. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said Wednesday that approximately 1,500 American citizens were still in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan and that Washington was in touch with some 500 of them trying to organize evacuations. Listen, this is a disaster. It's a disaster of, of for our country, in my opinion, and feel free to tell me I'm wrong. No, of, of, um, I, I, I mean, I can't consciously tell you that of, you're wrong. It's a disaster. It's a, it's a disaster of massive proportion. It is a disaster that is going to have serious ripple effects. This is uh, aftershocks, um, whatever word you want to use. Our standing as a country in the rest of the world is diminished today because of the way. Yes, Donald Trump cut a deal with the Taliban. I think that was a mistake. I don't think you can deal with terrorists. I don't think you can. I don't think you can cut deals with evil people. But I do believe, and not to get into a Trump thing, because Trump's not the president anymore, and he hasn't been the president since the morning of, of January the twentieth. I I I I do believe that Trump, and frankly, Barack Obama and George W. Bush, and Bill Clinton. George H.W. Bush, and on down, I do believe all of those people would have had a much more efficient evacuation plan than the disaster that has happened under the Biden administration. Well, um, and you, we say plan, but I think that's, and, 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 and I may be totally wrong, and, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong on this too, but I think that's what there was a lack thereof, correct? was a was a real plan a well thought out you know maybe i don't know I, I i i refuse to give them that much credit because i think they did have high level meetings about this i think they did talk about hey what's the best route to do and the route that they chose was to completely abandon bagram the airfield about 20 minutes out of kabul that was where it's positioned from a geographic standpoint was a military stronghold because of anybody who studies military and war knows that you you it's all you know land and and how you're surrounded and and your ability to protect yourself is critical. Yeah. Uh, the the Kabul airport is basically and look I've never been to Afghanistan thank God, um, but I've read a lot about it I've looked at a lot of pictures I've looked at maps it's basically in in, in right there in the middle of a of a residential area. And there's no, it's flat. There's nothing to protect you. You're, you are sitting ducks at the airport. And um, this is a disaster. I mean, there's no, there's no escaping this. There's, there's no avoiding this. I, I don't know, 
frankly, as we sit here on August the 26th, seven plus months into Joe Biden's presidency, I don't know how he as a president, and when I say this, let me be clear, I don't think Joe Biden has his faculties. I don't know who exactly is the president, but I don't know how this administration regains any shred of of footing moving forward. I understand that they're protected constitutionally for the next three and a quarter years, but I don't know how they regain their footing domestically or internationally. And since this show is mind on my money, as we are taping this, the markets are plunging today uh, with this news, which is a concern. Um, you you look at what's happening with the markets. As we tape this, the, the Dow Jones is down, the S&P is down, the NASDAQ is down. It's all red. The U.S. 10-year yield down, crude oil down, everything down. Everything's down. I mean, the, the, the world is watching this, and our the markets are watching this, and, and the – I think you've said this before. The markets hate yeah. nothing more than instability and unpredictability. And yeah. that's and where that's, we are now. And that's true. You know, I mean, there's there's certainty and safety is is what the markets thrive on. And and the VIX, which is the quote unquote fear index, you know, is up. We'll see how <clears throat> you know, we'll see how the day how the day finishes. But yeah, as as we're taping this right now, everything's down. We started kind of flat for the day. Um, but you know, there, and, and I know some of it probably has to do, some of it will attribute to a little bit of fear about what's going to happen at Jackson hole this weekend, which I don't, I don't think the fear is really founded, but then yes, you know, something like this does, it's just, dude, I mean, it, you really think about since 2001, I haven't really had any fear. Um, and, and, and I, and I'm not saying that I have fear right now about a, you know, a foreign attack on domestic soil here. But the last time that any of that was even in my, in my head was, was, was back in 2001. We've, for the last 20 years, we have, you know, and what, we're three weeks away from, are we? Yeah. Three weeks away from the 20 year. Yeah. Yeah. We are, uh, we're, yeah. Three, it's, it's a Saturday. It's this, you can tell I'm already in football season mode. It's the second Saturday of the college football season. Okay, so we're almost two weeks away then. Yeah, yeah, two weeks from this coming Saturday. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the last time I even gave thought to, you know, foreign attacks on on domestic soil, and 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 not that we're, you know, there right now, but you know, it's the belly of the beast is 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 roaring right now, and they are. Well, that's the concern, right? Not to interrupt you, but I think we are there because that is the concern. I mean, the one thing, no matter what you think of of how the the Bush presidency and subsequently the Obama presidency handled the war on terror, the one thing that you have to give them, whether you're a Bush guy or an Obama guy or neither, the one thing you have to give them is that there was not an attack on American soil since 9-11 because whether we should have gone to Afghanistan, whether we should have gone to Iraq, you can have that debate all you want to. We took the we took the fight there. But now, correct. If you are ISIS, if you are Al Qaeda, you're heartened by this. This is this is retreat, and these are not organizations that typically 
stop. This is what they do. This is the, they. This is what they, they. This is what they. They're they're built for. It's what they do. They they want to kill Americans, and if we're not there, they're going to come here. And for the first time, like you said, for the first time in a long time, it now becomes something that you think about. You know, I remember Martin in the wake of nine eleven doing what I do as a sports writer, and I think you and I have talked about this before, I would always, in the immediate wake of 9-11, really for two or three years, every time I went to a football game, and I covered some big football games, you know, doing what I do. I covered a national championship. I covered uh, some NFL playoff games. I can remember being in uh, Soldier Field in Chicago covering the Saints and the Bears in the NFC title game, the year that the Bears lost to the Colts in the Super Bowl. And I remember thinking at games like that, boy, wouldn't this be a ripe target? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't this be, I mean, if you're Al-Qaeda or you're ISIS or whatever and you want to stick it to the Americans, wouldn't this be a place to do it? Yeah. And over the last years, I've stopped thinking that. I used to think that all the time. And I quit thinking it. It never crossed my mind. Why? Because... Throughout the entirety of the Bush eight years, throughout the entirety of the Obama eight years, and throughout the entirety of Trump's four years, it never happened. And now, for the first time in a long time, I catch myself thinking about these things again. Yeah, and it would, and it'll be different than it was in nine eleven. Yeah, I mean, we would expect them to use something like a, you know, an airplane or something like that. So if they do it this time, I'm their technology, their you know, when, when they have a lot of our military technology on hand now, since, um, you know, I, I suppose what I've understood from some of my buddies who are, you know, professionals in the military was that, you know, we left gear, we left equipment, we left a bunch of things there for the Afghan military um, to use as we left. But what they seemed to all know, meaning my buddies who are professional military was that when the fight came to the Afghan army, they were going to run for the Hills and their, their head scratching. And I won't name, you know, names or anything like that to, uh, you know, not to, to throw them out there where it might cause them harm professionally, but their head scratching was that the, all the intelligence already told them that as soon as the fight came to, and they knew the one that trained them, the Afghan army knew that as soon as the fight came to them from, um, you know, from ISIS or ISIS K or whatever we're going to be calling them now, that they would run for the hills. Um, and when they came and you know and 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 got all the equipment that was left, there was you know they didn't stand their grounds, uh, which is why ISIS is now in control. You know, and I read that there was a shadow government that's been in place for years, and I'm sure that there's you know some truth to that too because they were very well-planned, well-executed in, in this takeover. They, I don't think that ISIS at all is just, you know, random acts of violence. I think it is very calculated and planned and they do, they execute. Um, but you know, one of the things that you're right, one of the things that I haven't had in, in years is any fear or concern that, that there would be, you know, any type of attack here. And, you know, what would it be now? And, and I'm not trying to play off of the COVID stuff would it but would it be biological warfare would it be chemical warfare would it be um you know 
computer system hacks, infrastructures, you know, technological warfare. There's lots of different ways we could go to quote unquote war without, you know, physically fighting. Okay, let's uh, let's get back to money for a second. <laughs> sure. No, because it's, it's all related, as you know. If I'm going to assume, oh, who am I kidding? I don't. We, who knows what's going to happen with this president? Right. Right. I mean, do we fight back? Do we have to fight back? If and if we don't fight back, do we worry? Does the, does the economy begin to worry about what, what you're talking about, and what does that look like from a a markets standpoint, we still have what I hear all these people kind of starting to drive me crazy, by the way, with the COVID thing. They're saying fourth wave. Oh, we got to get through this fourth wave. It's like, yeah, there's going to be a fifth wave. I missed the third one. It's going to be a sixth I, wave. I, 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 I can't keep up. Yeah, I don't I don't know. But, third one was. But we're dealing with COVID. It's not completely going away. We, we, we there's a you know, I'm, I'm living in a town where they just instituted a, another mandatory mask mandate that so far I'm not seeing a whole lot of of um, people following along. It appears to be a lot of people. There's, there's real fatigue, but regardless back to the, to the terrorism. If we don't fight, what, what are the, take me through the, the economic scenarios for, Hey, this, this merits a military response to no, we just roll over and, and take the L and hope that it doesn't happen here. Yeah. I mean, if we, well, let's just look at history um, for when we take the fight, you know, to them. So after 9-11, let's just call it from, you know, the 2001 through, um, let's just go to say 2008 time frame. Um, you know, we were taking the fight, you know, all into foreign soul. It was not on domestic soul. Um, we did have we did have a recession in that time period, uh, right after nine eleven. Really, kind of through two thousand three, we had a relatively quick recession. Which you know, downturns and recessions generally don't you know outside of the Great Depression um, don't last for you know five years, you know ten years, anything like that. They're generally they're generally relatively quick and, and, and event driven recessions, um, are kind of faster than, um, you know, than a lot of, uh, you know, fundamental type recessions, but nonetheless, we did have a small one. I say a small one. I mean, it was a pretty big downturn in the markets, about 35%. Um, and, and, you know, in the Oh three <clears throat> time range and then, and then the market started, you know, chugging, chugging back again, the fight was taken off of a, of American soul, but, um, you know, the two, the two thousands really were kind of a lost decade in the markets, meaning that if you started at the beginning of the decade and then you went to the end of the decade, it didn't, the markets didn't quote unquote move a lot, but they did, you know, in between, there was a lot of activity, activity that happened in between. You had two pretty big pullbacks, you know, Oh, three, and then, uh, and then obviously 2008, uh, through, through early 2009 was, you know, was, was a, was a really, was a really big pullback. So there is, you know, there is an impact of military action, you know, correlated to, to markets. I don't know that I could quantify looking forward, 
you know, what it would look like if we take the fight. You know, I think there would have to be an event on our soul to make us take the fight there to have some type of impact um, on the economy. Now, you know, the impact that it can have with 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 people's sentiment, which is really what drives a lot of of market movement is, um, you know, if people <clears throat> are no longer chippery and, you know, and positive on, you know, on markets, uh, you know, we could see some cooling off in, you know, in stocks and, you know, folks may say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit iffy and nervous. So I'm going to pull down, you know, the percentage of stocks I have in the portfolio. If you start seeing that rotation from stocks, you know, into the quote unquote safe havens, which generally have been, you know, cash, um, and bonds, you know, that could have, that could have an impact, you know, in, in the markets more so than, than even some, you know, some events, it really is the, the emotions, the sentiment of, you know, of the investing public that, that drive markets. Now, a large portion of investors, um, and we'll just, we'll just talk about us for, for simplicity purposes, a large portion of us investors, um, are the us markets are not totally made up of individual investors. Although there have been an, a lot larger introduction of individual investors during the pandemic. I mean, that's why Robin hood, you know, had such a success, uh, last year. And then even, you know, they've gone public this year and, and they have brought new, investors into the markets, but still the largest investors in the U S markets are institutions. Um, you know, it's your 401ks, it's your, um, you know, it's the endowments, it's foundations, it's pension funds, it's, it's large institutions. And they generally tend to be, uh, a little less emotional than, um, than individual investors. But, you know, if they get spooked, uh, you know, they move markets, institutions do. So, you know, a lot of it, again, has to do with sentiment and there is kind of a catalyst that could, you know, let's call it just synchronicity versus, you know, um, you know, two unrelated events that kind of happen at the same time. Um, right now the, uh, Jackson hole quote unquote conference is going on, which is, you know, the biggest conference for the fed all year long. Uh, it is virtual this year it is not in person and they're going to be talking about things like, you know, do we stop buying, you know, bonds, um, in their bond purchasing program, which is what the fed used last year, um, during the downturn for Corona for COVID, uh, you know, they said, Hey, we're going to start buying back. They kept liquidity in the credit markets, which were the largest credit market in the world by being a purchaser, by providing cash, to the sellers of bonds, which was the U S government. But they also said, Hey, we'll step in and do the same thing for corporations and high risk corporations, even though they never had to do it. They said that they would, and that gave confidence, you know, for uh, the economy to start heating back up again. So they're having their meeting this week and they're going to be talking about, you know, do we slow down the amount of, of bonds that we're purchasing, meaning providing liquidity, providing a guaranteed buyer uh, to the market, do we slow down on that uh, and start tapering away and and stop the bond the bond buying process? And I think my opinion or my forecast is uh, I bet you that they will say, "Hey, 
we are going to start this process. I bet it starts latter part of the year, which is kind of what the expectations were. Some people thought it would start earlier, like September or October. Uh, and that can have an effect in the markets too, where people may say, all right, well, government's slowing down on propping us up. So markets could cool off um, a little bit. But honestly, you know, it's kind of like if you break your leg and, you know, the doctor puts you in a cast and gives you crutches, the intent is that you do physical therapy you know, you get, you get yourself healing and then the cast comes off and you shed the crutches too. You don't put the crutches under your arm for the rest of your life. And that's kind of really what, what they're doing is they're saying, Hey, we think we've rehabilitated a large, you know, part of what we were, what we were worried about. And they're kind of saying, we need to put the, the crutches down and let the economy stand, you know, on its own legs. And that's totally separate from raising rates, which I don't think they're going to do until 2023. And then to tie all of this together, if there is fear and uncertainty, you know, in the markets, the credit markets kind of freeze up again, you know, the Fed could still have some, you know, they could delay raising rates or they could continue, you know, go back and start buying more um, <clears throat> or providing money providing capital to the to the credit markets which allows the economy to you know it'll but it would be putting our crutches back you know under our arms so uh man i talked a whole lot i'm gonna shut up because i know you probably have something you want to ask or say i have no idea what the hell you just talked about it was like uh what was it uh will ferrell when he blacks out <laughs> on uh on uh, <laughs> with uh james carville uh what was it uh god what was the movie is when they're in the the frat cl- uh the fraternity house and their adults uh, I can't remember the name of the movie. Yeah, I don't know that I saw that. I'm not a huge movie person and and so if people lose their minds at me. They'll throw these movies that everybody has watched and I'm like, "Man, I never saw that." <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that is a hilarious scene though cuz Will Ferrell's a a total idiot. At which that's the part he plays in almost all of his movies. And he's like uh, you know, his fraternity is going to be like kicked off campus or something like that and they have to go up against the comp- in competition in like quiz bowl against uh you know uh an intelligent team and james carville is the host and he asked uh you know will ferrell a question he should never know the answer to and he like blacks out and gives this super intelligent uh (laughs) (laughs) and he comes to and he's like oh what happened and of course they win and they get to their fraternity house gets to stay on campus or whatever anyway that's what i feel like just happened i just pulled a will ferrell a little bit of a different story jumping around. By the way, there are two attacks on the, um, the Kabul airport today. One at the uh, Barron Gate and one at the Abbey Gate. And apparently at least four U.S. Marines are dead. Damn. Which does lead me to believe that you have to retaliate, right, as Americans? We have to retaliate. You have to say, you know, I heard an interview, I heard an interview with Donald Trump the other day. Um, I was driving back. Carson has soccer practice Tuesdays and Thursdays. I was driving back with him, and um, I can't remember who it was on. Honestly, I don't. And uh, I was flipping around, and I heard Trump's voice, and so I said, I'll hear what he has to say. And he was talking about his deal with the Taliban and, you know, Trump doing it in, in Trump fashion, kind of recalling the entire conversation. But the part that I kind of believed is when he told him, hey, look, now, you violate any part of this deal 
and we're going to send a bomb right into your living room. I mean, everybody's dying. And I do believe Trump when he says that. And if you're Biden today, mm, yeah. Taliban killed U.S. Marines. And you're going to do nothing. And I mean, people, people say, well, ISIS did it. Well, the only reason ISIS was able to do it is because of the absolute disaster that you've made the airport there. Um, anyway. well, dude, can we talk about the secondary effect, maybe, and the tertiary effect of, of if we do nothing? Yes, sure, sure. I think there's a lot looking i mean a lot of people i think there are countries looking going looking at it going how are they going to react and if we don't and i'm not calling for you know let's get the draft and activate everyone and you know let's go let's go to war um but if we don't if we do nothing china's going to look at us and go sweet we have free range to do whatever we want to and and have no consequences for our actions. So I think you have Taiwan is in the crosshairs. Uh, I think, did we talk about this the last show or am I, I may be making this up where anyway, Taiwan would be in the crosshairs of, you know, like China licking its chops going, Hey, there's already a, a, you know, Taiwan semiconductor is probably one of the largest producers of, of, of chips. And, uh, it's you know, amazing that you're talking about this because that was literally where I was about to go. Go ahead. I just was letting you know, I have a story up, oh, right up about Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing company. Bam. Well, so, and that's where, and, and I'll let you read the story too, but that's kind of where I think about it is that if we do nothing here, it's not the, what does ISIS do, which I think we still need to consider that. But my head goes to, if we show we have no backbone, how does China step in and go, okay, here's, and this, and then that, and then that's a huge impact to the economy, right? If, if China steps in and, and bullies Taiwan, Taiwan semiconductor, one of the largest suppliers of, of chips, you know, to the world for a bunch of different things, you know, like vehicles, uh, washers and dryers, um, you know, computers, phones, it's like they, they produce a lot of chips for a lot of different things. Um, you know, the disruption that would happen there just in the global supply chain, which is already feeling the stress of, you know, all of the Rona stuff. If China steps in, bullies, you know, just creates even more problems. Then we're starting, then you really are talking about impact into local economies, impact into the U.S. economy and the impact that it's going to have, you know, across the globe by us just not reacting or having a backbone, you know, to what's happening in Afghanistan. I think it's the secondary and the tertiary impacts that really have a much larger impact on our wallets than, you know, if we go to war with the Taliban in Afghanistan. And now I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to let you chime in on your story. So the story is about, you know, the, 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 the world's largest contract chip maker, which is Taiwan Semiconductor, is raising its prices by as much as 20%, according to people familiar with the matter, a move that could result in consumers paying more for electronics. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company plans to increase the prices of its most advanced chips by roughly 10%, while less advanced chips used by customers like automakers will cost about 20% more. The higher prices will generally take effect late this year or early next year. Apple Inc. is one of TSMC's largest customers. Yep. And its iPhones use advanced microprocessors made in TSMC foundries. It couldn't be determined, this is according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, how much more Apple would pay. A TSMC spokeswoman declined to comment on prices but said the company works closely with customers 
an Apple spokeswoman did, did not immediately respond to a request for comment. And this is where it's interesting and kind of along the lines of things you've talked about. Two paragraphs here. The price increases come in the wake of a global semiconductor shortage that has affected Apple and most car makers, including General Motors and Toyota Motor, Motor Corporation. In August, GM said it had to idle three factories in North America that make large pickup trucks, the company's biggest moneymaker. Last Wasn't week, go ahead, I'm sorry. Didn't we have a, did we, yep, up in the Golden Triangle, don't we have a, a Toyota, Toyota halted here, maybe, production because of? The semiconductor shortage? I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, Last week, Toyota said it would curb production by 40% in September. The price increases have a twofold purpose for TSMC as it addresses the shortage. In the short term, higher prices push down demand and preserve supply for customers who have no other choice. Over the longer term, the higher income will help TSMC invest aggressively in new capacity, according to analysts. The company has said it plans to spend a total of $100 billion dollars over the next three years on new factories and equipment as well as research and development. It is expanding its production capacity in Nanjing, China and has uh, started construction on a $12 billion facility in Arizona. Well, that's good news. That is good news. Um, you know, it, all of these, all these things go together, right? The world is a, is a much smaller world than we, we give it credit for. And, oh, you know, 100%, especially people, today, man. Yeah. I people, mean, we're, we're globally connected. It's it. We live in a global economy, and people who deny it are they just don't realize how every everything we we live in a global world now. You know, we we jump around on this. I was was listening to an analyst about Afghanistan the other day. He was talking about how Afghanistan, while it is it has no oil, is the the minerals version of Saudi Arabia. And when the U.S. completely pulls out, they say, "Watch, watch China." And watch Russia get into Afghanistan and start mining and start mining, essentially paying the Taliban to let them do it. The Taliban, like anything else, has to have money. Yep. And that, you know, there's always something that fills the void. And that's part of part of. Part of the decision that has to go into abandoning or pulling out of Afghanistan, and again, this was a decision that that began under Trump and and has been finalized under Biden, is what happens in the wake? Because the answer, well, nothing happens, is never the answer. And in this case, you're, you're creating strength for both Russia and China, potentially. I, dude, I don't disagree with, with, with that at all. Um, and yeah, and I mean, and, and China, China, China is the other 800 pound gorilla in the boxing match. I mean, it's, it's, it's always, I mean, even when we first started this show two years ago, you know, a lot of the conversation at the very beginning, and I know it fizzled out really quickly. Uh, you know, I think it was January of 20, you know, we were we were talking a lot about the impact to the markets. Really, is the U.S. China trade relations stuff, and um, God, we haven't talked U.S. China trade relations, and well, COVID totally took the headlines, um, you know, there. But but the two eight hundred pound gorillas in the room, and you know, if China gets a, a leg up or a one up, it's you know, and they can corner an area of the market and make it painful for us. Then I mean, and it's a chess match that the two largest global economies 
are the two largest economies in the world are have have been and will continue to play with each other. You know, it's uh, interesting that you say that because we started the show, like you said, two years ago. And when we did, we had a completely different plan for the show than what it is than than the path that has wound up taking. It was the 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 reason I think about that is that the commentary was about how a, a president is ultimately judged by how he, and I guess eventually she, probably sooner rather than later, um, handle a crisis not of his or her making. You know, yeah. like, for example, George W. Bush wanted to be the, the domestic president, the education president. He, he wanted to, he had a very robust domestic agenda that eight months into his presidency was was rendered, put on the back burner, pretty much permanently by 9-11. Uh, Barack Obama, you know, had to immediately manage a uh, financial crisis that, that he inherited. Um, and so, you know, here we are with, with, uh, with, with Biden and Trump, his presidency was derailed by a pandemic. And, and frankly, the way that he failed to manage a pandemic. And here we are with Biden. Biden, the first of that group, kind of with a a problem that's essentially of his own making that is likely, I, I think it's going to be his undoing. But my point is, is that, you know, you when when you take that oath of office and you and you step in, it's you you don't really know what's coming, and your ability to manage the unknown is ultimately what is going to define your your administration. This show has become us reacting to what's happening in real time over the course of the week after week, as opposed to some of the plans that we had for educating people about money and markets and things like that. Things are happening too fast to to do that. It's what's one of the things that's interesting is. Is in the midst of this, you know, people like me and you and others are are still trying to plan for what we hope is a retirement. We're trying to put money away. We're trying to manage that money, and and yet you you, you can look at the volatility out there, and it can make you pretty nervous. Yeah, yeah, and people and people make decisions <clears throat> when you know when when it's gut wrenching too. When you're well, just talking about your let's talk about the four one ks and retirement plans. You know, sometimes people who don't have plans make decisions based off of what's happening, you know, currently like today, right now. And if they're 20 years away from retirement, I can, I can almost promise you that whatever it is that's happening today is going to be a blip on the map in 20 years. And people don't need to make emotional decisions, but it's hard to, you know, I get it. I mean, it's hard. Everyone is emotionally attached to their money. And when you see your account drop, you know, $10,000 or $20,000, you feel like, holy crap, I got to do something. And that's almost the worst, almost always the worst time to make decisions unless that decision is, holy crap, I'm down 20%. I have this cash that on the sidelines that I wasn't doing anything with. And now I'm going to invest and buy more because 20 years down the road, that's going to have been a good decision. But it's it's hard for people to delineate the emotion from the ration um, when it comes to their you know portfolios. Uh, I'm trying to think anything else you want to get to today. We're probably about three or four minutes away from a hard out for me. This is, yeah. Oh, I mean, I, we didn't even talk the, you know, cryptos back in. in oh yeah. You mentioned crypto. I was going to ask you this real quick. We don't have time to get into it. We'll make no, sure we, we get into it next week, but and just briefly touch on it. A lot of people out there talking more and more about the rise of crypto and, and, people who were once very skeptical about crypto now heavily involved in, in, in crypto. What, 
What, why do you think that is? Uh, I mean, I think, I think more people are just starting to become a little bit more, you know, familiar with it. Not saying that they understand it because I, I still feel like there is still a lot of, it's going to take a long time for, for, um, you know, for folks to really, to have, be comfortable with what crypto is or isn't. Cause it, you know, and even on the shows, even when we've had Marcos on here, we've, we've continued to say it is a very volatile asset class. And it is because the last time we had Marcos here, Bitcoin was like right around $60,000. It dropped all the way down to 30,000. And there was a lot of the, lot of the driver there was, you know, the crackdowns in China on miners, on Bitcoin miners. Um, and you know, there was some fear that there wasn't going to be the supply was not going to get, you know, um, be produced in the mining and, um, you know, and they, they're just like with, uh, we were talking about earlier when there's a void, someone will fill that void. The miners did the same thing. So China says, Hey, we're going to be super restricted on you. You know, they went to Malaysia or Thailand or, you know, somewhere else where they could do what they're doing. So anyway, I said all that to say, you know, it dropped down to 30,000. It jumped all the way back up to 50, um, you know, here recently. And, and today as we're, you know, as we're talking, it's, you know, it's right around the 46,000 mark. So it's just, it's volatile. Um, you know, and I think people's curiosity or what, what are, um, you know, what are kind of getting more people into the fold. But I would just say, you know, for the, for people listening that don't understand it, but there's like, Hey, I think I need to at least have some exposure just as Marco said, you know, two, 3% of your total portfolio is probably a max, um, that you need to have. So if you've got a hundred thousand dollars, you know, in your, between your 401k and IRA and savings, you know, probably okay to do two, 3000, you know, in, in crypto and, and Ethereum and Bitcoin are obviously the two biggest, um, two biggest well-known, um, you know, names in the, in the space, they both do different things, but, um, we, we won't, again, no time to dive into it, but it's kind of, it's back into conversation again. I think it's going to be here to stay long-term, but people just need to know it is a, it is very volatile. And the best way to invest in things involved that are volatile is to, you know, be systematic, put $10 a week or $10 a month or $25 a month or whatever it is. That's, that's probably the best way to buy it. Cause it's going to swing and there's no way to time it. Martin, as always, a lot of fun. Uh, real quick, tell the people once again how they can get in touch with you guys at Pinnacle. Yeah, phone number is still the same, 601-957-0323. Uh, email address is slightly different. It is info at my, M-Y-P-I-N-N, wealth.com. All right, we will be back uh, next Thursday. Hopefully the world will still be in some degree of order. Uh, although uh, this, this, the, the, the Pentagon admitting that the explosions in Kabul were a co- quote complex attack, end quote. So, yeah, uh, I suspect we'll still be talking about Afghanistan for a long time. So we'll update you on that, and we'll talk about other things. Try to dive more into the cryptocurrency markets next week on the next edition of Mind on My Money. Until then, have a great weekend out there, and thank you again for making us a part of your week. We'll be back Thursday. Until then, for Martin, I'm Neil. Take care. Yep. Happy birthday. Mind on my money. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.